okay, you've all been there, so let me set the stage. But this isn't going to be very foreign or strange because we've all been there. Something bad happens. You work as hard as you can to understand how it happened. You want to learn about the context. You want to do the best event learning you can possibly do. And you bring in the worker that had the event. And you think about what you're going to say. And you build the perfect environment to have this really forward-moving, very positive conversation about this bad thing that just happened. And the worker comes in, looks you in the eye, and then kind of looks down to the ground and says, I should have known better. I screwed up. Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. This pod today, just for you, is by special request, a super special double knot spy secret special request. And it's around this idea, and we'll talk about it a bunch today, of workers coming in and just falling on their swords. That's a metaphor. They don't really do that. That would be bad unless you work at like a sword factory, which maybe you do. I mean, I hope you don't. But if you do, well, if you do, I hope no one ever falls on their own sword. That's what I hope. But that's the pod, and, and it's an interesting topic. But it's also interesting to get to do these autumnal conversations we're having because it's kind of fun. I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff, uh, actually kind of some cool stuff in the can and a bunch of stuff lined up to take us to the end of the year. This has been a great year for the pod, but these conversations keep coming up and I think, well, we might as well have them. Well, I, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, if you, if you listened in carefully, and I'm pretty sure you did, that you guys really like these ones where I just talk to you and that's not a problem. I always got stuff to talk about. In fact, I've got a list of things to talk about with you, but this wasn't on the list. In fact, it should have been on the list, and, and I'm not sure we've talked about it before. I talk about it a lot, and it's a very interesting issue because what it has to do with is the fact that workers are very quick to admit guilt, and that's something we should talk about. But I think the more interesting part of that conversation is that companies are very quick to accept the worker's admission of guilt. And so I think this podcast is not one podcast or one conversation or one topic. It's really two very distinct topics that are a big part of our conversation. Because one is why do workers so quickly admit that they were at fault? And we've got some ideas around that. I mean, there's pretty good research and we could talk about it to a great extent. And then maybe the more important part two of that is why are we so quick as companies to accept this as the answer? But to do that, we should talk a little bit about you. So how are you doing? Have you settled in, do you think? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see where everything goes because it's so interesting to me that we still, to this day, are having all these conversations around getting back to normal. I was just on one the other day, and I felt so bad for the, the leader because the leader was saying to me, you know, when things get back to normal, and he was talking about employment situation and getting people to work and, you know, all the same stuff that we're all suffering. And uh, he said, you know, when things get back to normal, and I had to just as gently and as kindly as I possibly could say to him, uh, tell him, I'm not sure we're going back to normal. In fact, I think you're kind of in normal because this is what you got. 
this is today's reality, and that's about as normal as it gets. But the idea that we're going to go back somehow to the way it was four years ago, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. And I've been wrong on a bunch of stuff before, so that wouldn't surprise me. But my gut's telling me that there's probably not much going back. That's an interesting part of how progress happens. Progress can move backwards. There's no question about it. In fact, as a as a globe, we're learning that lesson pretty richly right now. If you think about all the things that are happening, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting time to be alive. But it doesn't mean progress stops. It doesn't stop, and it's not stopping. Sometimes it moves in a direction we don't want it to, but it's still movement. It's still happening. And that's kind of that difference between measuring things, which we talk about all the time, and monitoring things, which we probably don't talk about enough. And the crazy thing is if you're sitting at work thinking this will get better, whatever that means, it's probably going to distract you from what's happening now. Because all you really have is now, right? And I don't mean to sound super philosophical, like sunflower seed, hot rock massage, aromatherapy philosophical. But I mean, you just got now. And so if you're a big senior leader for a giant company and you're honestly projecting and strategizing based upon this idea that things will get back to normal, mm, I don't know if you could see my nonverbal right now. I'm making one of those faces that's saying, oh, I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen because it's not going to happen. And so things like employment and um, hiring, finding, discovering new people, those are real challenges right now. And one of the things we have to ask ourselves, especially in our world, because our world's a really pretty interesting kind of niche market, is how attractive have we made our jobs for people to become interested in them? And when they get interested in them, how effective are we at mentoring and coaching and guiding people to be successful in a world that's filled with lots of non-successful events? Because the one thing about the work you do, and you know this, I don't have to tell you this, is that big parts of your job is managing disappointed people. And you have to really kind of understand how to do that and how to get good at it and how to build trust and build relationships, how to recognize expertise, and ultimately knowing that the expertise and knowledge of how work is done doesn't exist in the C-suite. It doesn't exist in the boss's chamber. It doesn't exist around a conference table. It doesn't even exist in a work planning office. It exists where the work is done. And shifting that attention, which is what we talk about all the time in this uh, safety differently world we live in, right? It's shifting that attention from seeing the worker as the problem to seeing the worker as the solution, which is kind of a big part of what's happening right now. There's a big effort. I don't know if you're following it much, but the National Safety Council and I want to challenge the National Safety Council right now. I should probably write them a letter, but I'll just do it here because I'm talking. They put out a paper on workplace fatalities that I think, respectfully, is just an elaborate way to ask workers not to kill themselves. It, it doesn't really see the worker as the solution. It sees the worker as the problem that needs to be fixed. And I would suggest, just because I think it's worth suggesting, that they open that paper up for some debate. Because as near as I can tell, the data they shared around fatality prevention is not new or interesting. It just isn't. It's not new 
nor is it interesting. What it is, is kind of more of the same harder with some new ideas wrapped around it. And that's something that's been kind of bugging me a little bit. Because I'm pretty certain, and I think we have enough data to substantiate what I'm about to say, you won't cause people to not die by telling them not to die. Because that's based on kind of this weird, flawed assumption that people die because they choose to die. And I'm pretty sure of all the fatalities I've done, I've never seen that to be the case. But here nor there, that's all a part of this idea of what this new normal looks like, which sort of sets us up nicely to have the conversation we need to have about what's going to happen next, because that's important. So I told you this pod has two distinct parts to it. Let's talk about part one first, and then let's talk about part two second. How's that sound? It's pretty traditional, but I think you'll be fine with it. Part one, why do workers come in and actually admit guilt as quickly as possible? And I think the answer for that is probably not a mystery to anybody involved in this podcast. And that is that they believe if they actually fess up to the bad thing quickly, that the medicine that will be given will be less painful and happen quicker and to a great extent not include every other employee on the shop floor. There's also this notion that somehow we need to punish the guilty, and if we did something bad, we want to punish ourselves for doing something bad. But ultimately, I think workers admit guilt quickly because it's the most convenient and effective way to actually get this over with. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. You want to rip it off quickly, it's going to hurt like crazy, but ultimately that pain's going to be short, and as soon as it's over, different things can happen. And that's kind of why workers come in and hang their heads and tell you, I screwed up. And what's interesting is that workers all the time walk into your office and say, I screwed up. And I'm sure it feels like they screwed up. I mean, in retrospect, everything looks like a mistake. In retrospect, you can see exactly where you made a poor choice, a bad decision. You did the wrong thing. The problem is, is in context, while the event is transpiring, that information is not nearly as clear as it is retrospectively after the failure has taken place. And so the benefit of having retrospective understanding of the event, and I say benefit, but I'm loosely using the word benefit because I'm not sure it's beneficial. But the benefit of having that, that, that retrospective understanding of the event just makes it obvious that everything's going to fall on that one decision you made. And since everything's going to fall on that one decision you made, you might as well just fess up to it quick, tell them you did it, beg for forgiveness, and then get ready to take your medicine. Here it comes. Three days leave without pay or... They're going to dock my bonus, or I'm going to lose part of my salary. I'm going to get demoted. I mean, all those things happen. I'm going to get fired. We do all those things. But the craziest thing about that is that you and I both know, I mean, we don't really even have to talk about it very much, that no event happens because one worker made one mistake. Because that's the crazy thing about mistakes. I mean, it's just a crazy idea. Mistakes are not choices, and because mistakes are not choices, Mistakes can't really be causal, but that's not enough. 
The way to prove that is actually use some empirical data. So every time there is an event, absolutely a worker made a mistake. Without a doubt, a worker mistake happened. No question about it. And in retrospect, you'll see it as clear as the nose on your face. The amazing thing is that every time work is successfully accomplished, on time, on schedule, within budget, within quality spec, it's done well. I got a little secret for you. Workers made mistakes. The difference is, is the outcome. The mistakes are always there. They're there in success and they're there in failure. What makes it different is the outcome. And the outcome then will deem that mistake as a bad thing. But if it didn't fail, it wasn't bad at all. It, it saved us time, energy, effort, and money. It was, it was a, an efficiency, right? And that difference is a really a big part of why workers come in and say, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I did it badly. And what's important for us is the realization that the way they're feeling and when they say that, those are pretty genuine emotions. Those are real feelings. They're not coming in and lying to you. They're not looking you in the eye and telling you a fibberoonie. They're actually talking to you about what they believe happened. And to a great extent, most workers, at least in the world I live in, and I'll bet it's really similar in your world, are spending quite a bit of time beating themselves up over what took place. This is especially profound if there's some kind of high-consequence failure, a fatality, serious injury, uh, a production loss, something really bad happens. There's going to be a whole sort of feeling of guilt and this survivor's remorse, which are really normal. That's, that happens every time there's a, a significant event. And, and humans are hardwired to sort of see that as a failure and then to determine that failure belongs to them and then find the place where they made the wrong decision or the bad choice or they did something goofy, admit to that in, in essence to sort of cleanse themselves, but also to come honestly and openly true to the organization so that in fact we can get through this as quickly and with the least amount of additional pain as we possibly can. That's pretty normal. And that's always going to happen. And because it's normal, and because it's always going to happen, I actually don't think this is the problem. I don't think the fact that workers come in and said, I screwed up, is the part we ought to be working on or the part we ought to be changing. Because I just think it's hardwired into us as human beings. Which takes us to part two of this conversation. And that is, why on earth do companies accept that answer as truth? And you can fill the blank in on that. I don't even really need to tell you that it saves time, saves energy, it saves effort. We've We've identified the bad actor, and the bad actor knows they're a bad actor and is prepared and ready to take some kind of, some kind of justice. There's going to be some kind of accountability against this person who did something so badly and will make that person pay. We'll have an emotional response as an organization on that person, and the world will once again be good. But you know that's not true. You know that's not true. I know that's not true. 
People that don't even know stuff know that's, that's not true. The challenge we have, and this is where I think we should put our effort, is not in asking workers to not fall on their swords. That's going to happen. The challenge we have is in helping our leaders and managers not accept that as an answer. And in fact, I can tell you what I say. Anytime a worker comes to me and says, it was my fault, I screwed up, I did a dumb thing. I don't know why I did it, I've never done it before, but I did a dumb thing and it had this consequence. I look at them, I pause a little because that's important. And then I say, I know it must feel that way. And that's pretty awful. But if we stop our discussion right there, then all we've learned is that you screwed up. And I'm relatively certain that the long-term improvement strategy that we want to come out of this event, the ability to get better and stronger, is not going to be made better and stronger by realizing you made a mistake. So thank you for being honest, and thank you for giving me that feedback. But if you'll allow me, let's not stop there. In fact, let's make that the beginning of our conversation. And let's ask the next question. What was happening around you at the time that made that bad choice, that wrong decision, that goofy action make sense to you? And what's amazing is that if you do that right, and you can, I know you can, I'm not worried about that. But if you do that right, that becomes the beginning of a very important conversation. A conversation that actually allows the organization to strategically and deliberately get better, to take an event and not see it as a cost to be punished away, but to see it as an investment and improvement for long-term strategic betterment. It's a way to change operations from bad to good. But what it means is, and this is the hard part, is it means that we have to spend time coaching our leaders and telling them a couple things. One is the employee will come in, the worker will come in and say, I screwed up. That's normal. And two, when that happens, that's the beginning of the conversation, not the end of the investigation. And help them understand why, in a restorative way, when that worker comes in and says, I made that bad choice, I made that wrong decision, I did not follow the procedure, I knew better and I screwed up, why what we say next matters so much. Because if we play this right, and we actually say, I know it feels that way, and it must be pretty hard, because everything about this is pretty hard. But because it feels that way, and because you're sharing this with me, let's make that the beginning of the discussion, not the end of the discussion. Now, for those of you that have done this, and there's a ton of you that are listening to this that learned this lesson a long time ago. In fact, I'm bold enough to tell you there are a ton of you that didn't even realize that what you're doing was this amazing intervention against sort of what Nietzsche would call existential threat, existential stress right? What you're doing is you're intervening on what the normal response is by asking for more and asking for what it feels like. And what's amazing is if you've done this before, you know that that conversation that happens next is among the more valuable conversations you have in your workplace at any time. Because then you start to learn, well, this was going on and this was going on and this was happening. And these three things happened at the same time, and this person was gone, and you know the details, the context-rich reality 
of what's going to happen next. Because you guys, we're not custodians of systems that are perfect. You as a safety person or a reliable person, reliability, reliable is good too, but a reliability person, you as a, as a DevOps person, you're not a custodian of a system that's perfect. You actually manage a system that's constantly eroding, and at some point in time, some little part of it is breaking. The workers who use that system are constantly in this adaptive mode, making decisions in order to understand what happens next. That's the story we need to learn. Because we don't really need to understand exactly who did what, because that's not a big mystery especially if they're sitting in your office looking you in the eye. You know who did what. The better question is what did what? How did an event like this, with the consequences like we had, happen in our system? And how can we take this knowledge and learn from it and grow from it and become better and smarter? That is the key question. And really, that's kind of what the request was for the podcast, is help me understand why workers come in and admit guilt so quickly. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's a, that's a perfectly good reason to have a podcast. The problem is, is I think that's only a part of what needs to happen. I could tell you why workers fall on their swords. It's human nature. What I can't tell you is why your organization is so quick to accept that as fact. That's the part that I think is so interesting about this conversation. The change has to happen with the organization. So what do you think? That conversation was the one I was asked to have. I think it's actually a really good conversation. Ultimately, the message that comes out of this, I think the message that makes the biggest difference is the fact that workers admit guilt quickly is not interesting, nor important, nor even surprising. It's just a fact. How you respond to that is everything. It's the fifth principle, right? I mean, how leaders respond matters. Well, this is a chance to test that. And maybe better for us, it's a chance to actually have a conversation with real examples, because I'll bet you a nickel, and I have one, so I'm good with that, that every time you do a workshop or teach a class or talk to a group of leaders, they're all going to have an experience where a worker comes in and says, I screwed up. It's just normal. It happens all the time. And when they say that, the next thing you say is, what'd you do? How'd you respond? What'd you say next? And that's an opportunity to coach and counsel and help them understand that that really starts the journey especially the journey into human and organizational performance. I can't even say it, but you know what I'm talking about. And that's the important part of where we want to go with this. So that's the pod. It was a little one. It wasn't even supposed to happen. This is like a complete like mystery pod. But if you call me and you're loud enough and make me think hard enough, I will do a special podcast just for you. Luckily, on my bike ride today, I got to think about this a bunch. Because it is something I talk about a lot. And it's definitely something in my experience as a leader that was super normal. And I had to learn that, man, just because they said they did a bad thing doesn't mean the conversation stops right there. So that's the pod. Have fun. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. 
Check in on one another. That seems important. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. I screwed up. I made a mistake. I did something dumb.